1: reading is from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. It's talking about the time uh, just after Jesus' baptism. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe me? Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the Word of God for the people of God. One of the concepts of Christianity, which began with the story of God in the Bible, is the concept of the calling. Today, this is a widespread idea. We get called for everything, particularly by telemarketers. But this was not always a concept. For when we think about a calling, there are certain clear parts to a calling. First, someone must do the calling. That someone must have the ability to decide and act what we increasingly call agency. The caller decides and acts. The caller is not forced or coerced to do these things, but the caller chooses to call. God always has agency. God can always make decisions and act. Second, there must always be a person who is called. The called person also may decide and act, for calling is not coercion. We don't force people with a call. But it may be persuasion. The called person must agree that they have been called. It's not a calling if you're handcuffed by soldiers and forced to do what someone has ordered you to do. That's not a calling. A calling is when you're asked to do something and you choose to do it. And there must be a purpose, a goal, a description of the calling. You may be called to clean you might be called to make great movies you may be called to be a minister to children you might be called to be a mechanic or you might be called to teach but you know the callings of Christianity are even more specific than these callings in Christianity God calls a person to a great purpose for the purpose of forwarding God's mission in the world. It's a direct connection that happens. It's similar to the call you give your hands to move on behalf of your brain. It's like the call you place on your legs to walk you somewhere. It is the call that is a direct connection with God. God calls people for great purposes throughout the Bible God called Gideon Gideon sent an angel I mean God sent an angel to call Gideon to take and raise the army of Israel and defeat the invaders of the day and Gideon tested the call by placing a fleece on a sheepskin and then praying that the dew might come on that sheepskin at night but not on the ground and that's what happened and so Gideon the next night further tested God and the call by praying that the dew would come up on the ground but not on the sheepskin. And that happened also. And so Gideon had his call confirmed by miraculous action. And then Gideon proceeded to raise that army and defeated those invaders. In our Old Testament reading, we see Samuel, who at that time was about four or five years old, He'd been given to be an apprentice to Eli, the high priest of Israel, and he was sleeping in the temple at night. Samuel repeatedly hears a voice calling him. Naturally, he thinks it's Eli's voice who's sleeping in a nearby room. But Eli has not called for Samuel, and this happens several times. Each time, Eli denies calling the boy, but finally realizes that God is calling Samuel. Eli tells Samuel to ask God to speak to him and listen to his words. And this is the beginning of a very long career for Samuel, who eventually becomes the high priest after Eli's death. And Samuel, following God's instructions, he finds Saul and makes him the first king of Israel. Then later, again following God's instructions, makes David Saul's replacement. Samuel had been called for a great purpose by God and it began that night in the tabernacle. It wasn't actually the temple, it was the time before the temple, it was the tabernacle, that big tent that the Israelites had carried around with them. It began that night with a still small voice calling out Samuel's name. Many prophets were called by God for the purpose of delivering a message or many messages to kings and people in Israel. But when we get to the New Testament, the Gospels begin to speak of the calling of the disciples. Things change. Now it's important to notice, Jesus is not called. He was God walking upon the earth, so He knew from before time began what His purpose was. But now, as Jesus begins calling the disciples, there are many people called at once. And it's happened that way ever since. Many people are being called to do things for God. In this episode, Jesus has gone to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And John's standing there with a couple of John's disciples, Andrew and probably the man who would later become known as the Apostle John. The scraggly baptizer sees Jesus walking by and he points to him and says, look, the Lamb of God. So Andrew and the younger John They choose to follow Jesus. And after a brief talk with him, they go to where he was staying and they spend the day talking with him. They talked that whole afternoon and into the evening. And after this, Andrew went and found his brother Simon. They were both fishermen on the Lake of Galilee. His brother Simon was the man that Jesus very soon named Peter, which means the rock. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus and all three of these men Andrew and Simon and uh, yeah Andrew and Simon they, they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee as well as the Apostle John the next day Jesus decided that he was going to leave the Jordan River and walk north to Galilee the land on the west and north sides of the Sea of Galilee as he was leaving the Jordan, he found Philip, who was from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter, Bethsaida. It's a small village located on the east side of the upper Jordan River that dumps into the Lake of Galilee. Jesus told Philip, follow me. Well, Philip quickly looked for his friend Nathaniel, and told him that we, probably referring to Andrew and Simon Peter and himself, we had found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of of Joseph. He's saying that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the great savior. Philip and his fishing friends had decided that this man Jesus from the town of Nazareth was the man the prophets and Moses had foretold in the Old Testament to save Israel. Well, Nathaniel expressed the view of many young men for a town nearby, you know, the way we in Parkersburg might talk about gallop or Ravenswood or Spencer, the way a WVU fan might talk about Pittsburgh, or the way everybody in Atlanta talks about the entire state of Alabama, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks his buddy Philip that, and Philip says simply, come and see. You know, Philip is often a bit of an outsider in the Bible. He isn't listed as one of the fishermen from Bethsaida, but he's from Bethsaida. The four fishermen are Andrew and Peter, James and John. Perhaps it's because Philip has a Greek name. People in those days named their children just like we do after members of their family or famous people. The original Philip was not Jewish, but he was the father of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedon, who lived about 400 years earlier and had conquered Greece. His son, Alexander the Great, went on and conquered what's today Turkey and Syria and Iran and all of Israel and Egypt. And Philip the disciple later brings a group of Greeks to meet Jesus. So there's a Greek heritage there some way. But he's always connecting people with Jesus. He's a good person to to emulate, a good person to imitate. So Nathaniel gets up from where he's sitting and he heads to see Jesus. And Jesus says, here truly is an Israelite in which there's no deceit, no guile, no sin. That's what the older translations will say. Nathanael's a bit shocked to find out that Jesus knows of Nathanael's honesty and his lack of diplomatic speech. In other words, his blunt speaking. Nathanael wasn't afraid to offend people with what he honestly thought. Can anything good come from Nazareth? How do you know me? he asked Jesus. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And now Nathaniel is really shocked. He apparently had thought that he was hiding in the shade for, you know, fig tree branches go down to the ground and they form this cool little cave for anyone sitting under the tree. We used to have a fig tree when we were living in Atlanta. And they're huge trees and their broad growth. All those branches that they have it just covers a huge territory and it provides a great place for even a group of men or women to sit and discuss scripture. And additionally sitting under the fig tree actually became a figure of speech for just sitting there and studying scripture by yourself or with a group of other people sitting and talking about the meaning of scripture in fact the saying goes back to several places in scripture like zechariah 3 i want to call your attention to where it speaks of the prosperity dream of ancient israel here's what zechariah 3 says here now o joshua the high priest you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. Behold, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Some say remove the guile or deceit of this land in a single day. That day, says the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So Nathaniel. Yeah, he was probably an honest man who spoke his mind and loved to deeply understand scripture. Wouldn't the world be better if there were more Nathaniels in it? But there's more. For the name Jesus is the Roman Latin name given to the man. Jesus' real name was Yeshua or Joshua. He was a branch of David's family tree. And the word for branch in Hebrew is netzer, which is written in the Hebrew letters for N-Z-R. It's written the same way as Nazareth. Do you remember in the passage from Zechariah, I will remove the guile of this land or the sin of this land? Now let's look at the whole passage again and put this together. Here now, O Joshua, the high priest... You and your companions who sit before you, for they are men of good omen, behold, I will bring my servant the branch, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day, or the guile of this land or deceit in a single day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So on the basis of his in-depth scripture study, Yeshua's declaration that Nathanael was an honest man with no guile, and Jesus' announcement that he'd seen him under the fig tree before Philip called him, that made things suddenly click for Nathaniel. And he puts all of everything together and he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You're Joshua. You're talking about being of the branch. we're under a fig tree yeah you're the son of God you're the king of Israel now I didn't make this up I found it in an article by a guy named Scott Smith on his blog but it makes sense doesn't it and now you can just see the smile grow on Jesus's face He says you believe because I saw you under the fig tree you'll see greater things than that and then he adds very truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which was a reference back to Genesis 28, and where Jacob had a dream of a ladder between heaven and earth on which the angels were, descend- were ascending and descending between heaven and earth. Of course, the Son of Man from Ezekiel and Daniel becomes the term that Jesus uses repeatedly to refer to himself, so he's talking about you're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon me, Jesus is saying. He is the latter. So by this time, Andrew and John the Apostle and Simon Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, they've all begun to follow Jesus. And more would soon follow, being called by Jesus to follow him. Now it's important, it's even critical that we understand what it means to follow a rabbi, a teacher in ancient Israel. So often the word disciple is translated as student, but it's much more than our present meaning of student. To us a student is one who sits in a classroom and listens to a lecture or reads a book. Today we largely distinguish between book learning, classroom teaching of students, and the hands-on learning of the trade apprentice in ancient Israel there was no difference the disciple of a rabbi a teacher was expected to truly follow the rabbi now children would learn from a rabbi in a home or a synagogue or under the fig tree of the rabbi But by the time a young man was in his late teens and serious about learning the deepest parts of a relationship with God, it was time for a more active sort of learning. For the best rabbis, they traveled greatly and they talked and they walked and they had this active method of learning. Our idea of learning about Jesus while sitting in a pew misses a tremendous amount. For the disciples were not called to sit in a chair, but to follow Jesus. And Jesus liked to be on the move. He walked, followed by his disciples. He walked from Galilee to Jerusalem several times, a hundred miles each way. He then traveled north to Mount Hermon, the highest peak of the Golan Heights, and west to Tyre and Sidon in Lebanon. He visited areas where lepers were found, and he talked with them. And he went to places where Samaritans were the majority, not Jews. And he spoke along the way with the Romans and the Greeks and, of course, with many Jews, whoever he happened to meet. And so we need to look at this in our lives. Was, Are we doing like Jesus? Jesus was constantly teaching, using examples from the people they encountered on the road, from the flowers in the fields they walked through, using the views from the mountains and the sites around them as illustrations, looking at the temple in Jerusalem and making comments about it. What do we do? Well, today Jesus still calls us to follow him and learn about God through our encounters with him. There are several levels of learning that a mature Christian needs to understand. First, there is the Holy Scripture and the meaning of these stories. That's something that we learn from our own reading of Scripture and our two-way prayers to God and listening to the Holy Spirit. And we learn more about these stories from the sermons we hear. Today, we Christians are pretty good at listening to sermons. Wake up, folks. Wake up. But we're not so good at studying Scripture ourselves. After all, how much of the Bible did you read last week by yourself? That's one key reason that we're told to assemble together. It's because we mostly don't read the Bible and study the Bible ourselves on a daily basis. I know that many people say they can study Scripture by themselves, but do they? Do you? And so we read Scriptures in our services now, I've been to churches that have really cut back on the scriptures, reducing the readings in the services to a verse or a few verses, arguing that people don't really want to hear the scriptures read. Well, that may be true, but I think the real truth is that some pastors prefer to keep the attention on the songs and the sermon teller rather than up on the scripture. When we were writing here today from Vaught from Chapel, Saunders said, I really got something out of that scripture out of that uh, today said what was it she quotes to me from the scripture the scripture I didn't say anything about it's not from my sermon it's from the scripture and that happens a lot to me people will say I got something out of that today it was from the scripture not the sermon that's why we have so much scripture in our services because most people won't read scripture at home The sermon usually focuses upon one or two scriptures and helps us to understand the meaning of those scriptures. And this is where most people learn their scriptures. How about you? But in ancient times, a rabbi, including Jesus, would sit under the fig tree in the shade and a group of people would sit around and discuss the meaning and interpretation of the scriptures. There's a great time of learning that comes from these sorts of discussions. And that's what we do on Wednesday night at the Bible Discussion. We focus on going through a particular book of the Bible in depth. This week we're going to finish up the book of Hebrews and go on to the epistles of Peter. Our Sunday evening Bible discussion is less formal. We have a wide-ranging discussion of all things Christian or biblical. Any questions pretty much up, on, up in the air. And then that next week when we start that Confirmation Christian Basics class, They'll begin at noon with pizza. Uh, We'll cover really critical things. But there's more to Christian learning and to following Jesus. For example, when we meet for lunch somewhere, we have a chance to see how mature Christians deal with non Christians that we encounter. When a group of us goes out to lunch, we see people talking, Christians talking to non Christians. And that's just like when Jesus ran into Romans and prostitutes and lepers and blind men and wealthy men. There's all sorts of people in this world. And we should be out in the community on a regular basis together like our Gideon members are. Distributing Bibles and New Testaments to the people they encounter. But Jesus also took His disciples, his followers, into active ministry. Jesus and His disciples healed people. They fed people. He taught people in various villages, synagogues and, and along the pilgrimages to Jerusalem. He constantly spoke to people and he often explained his actions to his followers in a private conversation at dinner later that evening. The important thing to notice is that Jesus took His followers and out into the world so he could teach people how to answer questions and how to handle hostile crowds and how to love people. If we consider the Sunday morning service to be the only time we're going to focus on learning to be a Christian follower of Jesus we've missed a lot. Now I know COVID is still in the world but most of the danger has passed. Now Brooks shows us almost every week how to follow Jesus in the world around us with his weekly visits to the Assisted Living Facility. If you want to learn more about how to work in ministry, join him at 2 o'clock at the back of Cedar Grove Assisted Living, and he'll show you. He'll get you working. And we could use more pianists, another pianist to spell me occasionally, but I'll tell you, the biggest need we have is for someone who will just help folks find their place in the hymnal. Our Gideons are showing us how to follow Jesus and spreading scriptures in the local area. If you want to learn more and better how to lead someone to Christ, speak to the Gideons and their wives. Brooks and Patty, David and Brenda, Jim Wolverton and Beth. Sandra and I often go out to restaurants where we speak to the servers about what's happening in their lives. If you want to, join us for a meal sometime. Give us a call and let's plan to meet somewhere and we'll show you how we speak to others for you and I have all been called to follow Jesus we believe in him now it's time to follow him to learn from him and the people who have already learned skills that Jesus taught to the twelve for one of the things that's obvious when we read the Gospels is that Jesus wanted his followers to change the world that's the purpose for which we were called Jesus who is God on the earth is calling each of us for the purpose of changing the world around us for the better. How we do that may be different for each of us. You may have one way, you may have another. But the call is there for me and for you and for you and for you. Will you listen to the call to the God who's calling your name just as he called Samuel and Philip and Nathaniel and all the rest over the centuries? How will you respond to the call? What will you do? What is your purpose? What does the Lord want you to do? Cedar Grove
0: United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77 just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove, UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.